here. Actually, you know what I got that's a really interesting... I wonder if anybody in the mumble room has any experience with any of this crap. I got one of these uh, Logitech Harmony... Logitech Harmony Hub. My dad got this for me for my birthday last week. And uh, so it's a puck-looking thing. And it has basically like a thousand IR blasters in it that shoot off in every direction. And uh, you then pair it with a uh, whatever. You could just use the app or you pair it with like an Alexa or you can actually control it from a Roku or lots of things. Um, And uh, it allows you to voice control your television and your DVR and your uh, internet media set-top box, whatever it might be. And uh, I don't know how much it is because, like I said, it was a gift. But uh, I just got it, and now I'm wondering how the hell I set it up. Here, they got a little thing on it. Yeah. One-touch control because everyone wants touchscreen. Who wants to use touchscreen controls for their... I do, I do. Hello, Wes! we got to get, like, oily fingerprints on the screen. Come on. Like, I want to be able to control my... I want to control my TV with physical buttons. Like, I want to be able to feel them. Or my voice, I would take that. If it could, if the thing had good enough spe- uh, mics to pick me up, so this would use the Alexa to. So the Alexa would be the front end of the Harmony Hub. I just got the Harmony Hub as a gift. Yeah, and it uh, it does basically. It is like this huge IR blaster, and so you kind of put it in the middle of your entertainment system, and it blasts out all directions to control your different devices and stuff. And it comes with a bunch of apps so, that you can use. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you know when someone doesn't have. Uh, an Amazon Echo or an Echo Dot is when they're quite confident in saying Alexa out loud. Oh, you're uh, right. No, I've got room. one in this room. I've got one in this room. I, I, sh- I, I, I should do. I should know better. I'm working on it. I really am. I'm trying to say Echo. I'm also trying not to say Okay, Googs. You know, I'm trying and and also Hey, Hey, S word. I'm trying not to do any of that stuff because I I find myself saying it like people prudes from the past say the word sex like under their breath. Like, yeah, Alexa. yeah, yeah. Like, that's what I do too. Usually, really yeah. My, my son's my daughter's I was just gonna say my daughter's been figuring out where she can use the word so that it doesn't trigger. Yeah. My son's and been she's figured out if it's mid sentence she can get away with it, but it can't be at the beginning or the end of the sentence. Yeah. And I, when she's talking about it, she calls it Lexi. Oh, that's good. I I, I have noticed that uh, my my kids have adopted the A word. They say the A word, which is funny because that could mean other things, but to them it means it means you know what I mean? It means. It, Wouldn't it be cool if they, if Amazon had thought of this beforehand and it called it a different name than Alexa? Well, I, I mean, how common no, is that because name? I had, I had the most fun with this though because I successfully trolled a friend of mine by giving him an Echo Dot, and his wife's name is Alexa. No, <laughs> no, yeah, that's awesome! Wow. No, what are the chances? I I didn't think it was that common of a name. No, neither did I. But as soon as as soon as I tw- I was like, "Hang on a minute!" And he's also called Martin. I was like, "Martin's wife is called Alexa." This is too much fun. <laughs> That's <laughs> incredible. This is Linux Unplugged, episode one hundred and eighty-two for January thirty-first, two thousand seventeen. Welcome to Linux Unplugged, your weekly Linux talk show that's so awash in new Linux hardware, we're not sure where to start the reviews first. 
My name is Chris. My name is Wes. Hello there, Wes. Hello. It's a nice piece of shiny hardware you have sitting next to you. We'll be talking about later on in the show it's today. It's very nice. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, we got a good show today. Later on, too, the part that I'm looking forward to the most, we're going to hack Popey server live on the show. We're going to hack Popey, right? Live on the show. We're going to do that. And, of course, we'll do some open source project updates, chat a little new hardware. There's some big, big things on the horizon that I'm working on that I want to talk to you guys about, pick your brains about a little bit. Ryan's here from System76 to make us drool over one of their new rigs. Nice. I know. I know. I'm drooling already. Whoops. You know... (laughs) You know what, Wes? It's good to have you back. I missed you last it week. It is a pleasure to be back. I was sad to be gone. <laughs> you always give me. You always give me. So, yeah, we got a whole bunch of good stuff to go over. Plus, we got the hack, and we got the new hardware. But bigger than all of that, Wes is back, and he brought us an oaked maple hard cider. I don't even know what that is. I'm not. Uh, yep. I think it's apples, right? It's got to be. But it's so delicious. It's a semi-sweet Seattle-based cider he brought us. Oak chips and Back sweetened with pure Vermont maple syrup. Okay. Interesting. Shut up. It really is maple yeah. syrup. So it's a Vermont maple syrup beer that we're we're drinking from Seattle. I'll take it. I'll take it. All right. Well, we have many things to get into this week here on Your Linux Unplugged. So let's bring in our virtual lug. Time appropriate greetings, Mamaroo. Hello. 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 Oh, man. Hello, That's guys. amazing. Yeah, it's good. Every time. It gets it every single time. Yeah, I would imagine. You can have cider made out of other things, Sweetland. Mm-hmm. You can have, so I, in fact, hard cherry cider is, is a real thing. It, it is real. Oh, yeah. I, I just used apple pear. cider. Yeah, apple cider, I think, is probably the most. Yeah, pear cider, that's another one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but that's not what we're here to talk about today. Nope. That is not, we got some Linux things first. We do, we do. I've had a very interesting week in Linux. I've, you know, I've been going on and on and on about this building this bulletproof Linux workstation for me. Just one or two of my systems okay. that I want to last for like five years. I'm trying not to talk about it too much because I know not everybody cares. But it's really been what I've been living for almost two, three weeks now, actually. Um, because it started when I had a, 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 an arch crash. And, yeah, right in the middle of a project. And then it just sort of got me down this path of, well, wh- how would I build a system if I never wanted it to crash again? And there's so many different ways to uh, to split this up. I kind of begun to land on sort of a Solus or Arch with budgie desktop combo. And then uh, that crazy guy, Ike, right after last week's show. Like, we get off the air with Ike last just week. Just chatting. And he uh, he runs off and uh, announces to the entire world that uh, he's uh, switching uh, the budgie desktop over to Qt. Which I think is probably a wow. great, I think it's probably a good long term move because you know there's a lot of things they've had to do to make it mm-hmm. sort of pretend like gnome over the years and, right. and uh, there's the there's a lot of crazy folks out there uh, that are right, rewriting their desktops over to Qt these there days seems to be a trend yeah well and it, I think there's a reason for it it's mm-hmm. not just because it's it's a trend but also because there's some real technical merits to Qt versus GTK when you're building something that's not gnome and gnome applications right and. Uh, I thought that was all great and good, except for the fact that it leaves me all of a sudden with my with the budgie desktop about to go through this large transition. A lot more change than you maybe otherwise would have expected. Right. Even change for the better, you might right. argue. Yeah. And I'm sure that they will only release it when they feel like it's ready for the end users. But even still, like I'm building a five-year workstation mm-hmm. here, right? And so really it was Ike's fault. He got me thinking. Ike and also producer Michael. I blame producer Michael also quite a bit for this too. Uh, it really, really got me seriously thinking about the Plasma desktop. Mm. And so I installed Plasma 5.8 okay. um, a week and change ago. On top of Solus? On top of Arch. Arch, okay. Yeah, I, I figured I, – I fixed my core Arch issue, which was a stupid infidelity font issue. And I got the Plasma desktop okay. set up. 
and it has been it has been it has been five point eight has been that didn't mean to turn this into a quick plasma review, but I have never used a more stable, rock solid version wow. of the plasma desktop. I mean, it every day, the week it's been installed on my system, and it's been a little more than a week, every day for that entire time has met the as my butt is entering the cushion of the chair, as it's as it's grabbing my butt. My keys are already being flicked by my fingers, and I'm already working, and every time it's ready to go. It's ready to go. I don't have to futz with nothing. Nothing gets in my way. I immediately start working the moment I walk. And I've set everything up, dude. I've, I've even got an echo in there, so that way I can, as I'm walking into the room, I can activate all the devices I want. So I, it's like this. I There's enter the door. Latency. I spin around. I sit down, and I start working. And I, I, I issue a— spinning is really important. A is. lot of spinning. you got to twirl. Yeah. you got to take oh, time yeah. to twirl and skip. And then I issue an echo command. It powers up all my devices. And as I'm sitting down at my keyboard, I'm working. There is, there is, there is zero friction to getting to work. And that's kind of that's kind of necessary when like sometimes I'm like running into the studio. I got a live show in five minutes. I got to get this thing Finish done. This thing, yes. yes. You can't wait for the login screen to like just twirl at you for a while. Or yeah, yeah. And I have been I have been extremely impressed with how snappy Plasma has been. Like just super snappy with with how reliable I've I have noticed. It's been extremely reliable. I have noticed. A slight continuous uptick in memory usage. So I'm now using about a gig at resting more than I was a few days ago. Uh-huh. But that can be explained by a lot of things. Sure. And but how much what, – what did that peak at? Well, so far it's just sort of been steadily increasing because, you know, who's got time to yeah, reboot rebooting. Uh, <laughs> who's got time, right? So I was really excited when Plasma 5.9 was announced. And uh, the KDE project says they're kicking off 2017 in style with Plasma 5.9. Now, producer Michael, you're not you're not by any chance running it already, are you? Because I know you on Neon. Yeah, yeah, I got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Without any further ado, are you ready for this? Oh, I think I am. I'm very excited. The Plasma guys once again contacted me. And had me record the video. I'll just play a little bit. Uh, awesome. I just do the voice work. They do everything else, yep. so it's great. It's they perfect. make the cool software. Yep. A few months of intensive work, the KDE community is pleased to announce Plasma 5.9, which brings many improvements and features to your desktop. Global menu bars for applications have returned and can be used with either a desktop panel showing the menu or neatly tucked away in the window bar. Due to popular demand, we implemented switching between Windows and Task Manager using the new Meta Key plus Number Key shortcuts for heavy multitasking. It is now possible to create comprehensive look and feel desktop themes that will download all the extras needed from the KDE Store, such as color schemes and plasma themes. I can never win, Wes, because they just released Plasma 5.9, and here I'm thinking, I'm going to go Plasma 5.8 LTS. I'm going to go 5.8. I'll stick with 5.8, and then they ship 5.9, like, days later. They get you all excited about these features and What are they doing to me? Yep. What are they doing to me? So, I don't know. Does anybody in the mumble room want to jump in on Plasma Desktop before we move on? I think it's a fantastic release. Lots of improvements. Little things that make theming nicer um, and whatnot. It's not, well... I have been using Plasma 5 since 5.4, yeah. and it has only gotten uh, it's more stable and more awesome every single release. Uh, I have, I'll have one machine that's going to stay on 5.8 just to keep testing it, but 5.9 is, 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 a, is a, a solid option. And I think it's actually a fantastic thing that they have an LTS version of their DE. Yeah. And with 
with Neon LTS, you, you basically get both LTS for Ubuntu and LTS for, for Plasma. So, that, that, and, and but if you don't want to have the, if you want to have the, the latest version of Plasma, you can also just use the regular Neon and you'll still have Ubuntu LTS, but you'll have Plasma will keep rolling, which is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've been tempted by it. It's on my, it's on my short list now. Especially if, if you have the Ubuntu stuff so you can do snaps or PPAs as well for that software yeah. availability. We're going to talk more I about tried s- snaps in it and it works fantastic. Yeah. Nice. You see, so we're going to talk more about that coming up a little bit in the show because that is I think honestly it's getting to the point where that's a that is a genuine genuine consideration especially for like I said earlier a five-year distribution so it's really nice I think it's one of their best releases yet and uh, if anybody else if anybody else wants to comment on it, you can but otherwise I'll just leave a link in the show notes the video covers pretty much everything I really like there I think I think a lot of more open source projects should do that and uh, you know if I have the time I'm, I'm making myself available to open source projects that Want to make a video, but they don't have somebody to do the voice work. Maybe they don't have a good audio setup or whatever. Totally willing to do that that's for people awesome. as long as I can fit it in, like in a couple of hours on a Friday, I'll do it for you. And it really seems like that's the kind of fit and finish that kind of goes the extra. You know, you're like 90%. The software is awesome. They have a good website. But that yeah, makes and, it seem like I, a very professional organization, Gnome, which it is. I think Gnome's been doing it for a while, right? So it makes sense that the Plasma desktop. Yeah. Yeah. I, and, Gnome started it, and then all of a sudden they released uh, – KDE released a video that was terrible – you made fun of it, and all of a sudden they're like, "Oh, maybe we should fix that." Yeah, and Wimpy, have you? I know you've got uh, a lot of community members that make spotlight videos of the Mate desktop and uh, of Ubuntu Mate. Have as this is this an area you've considered going down to help promote the distro, or do you feel it's not necessary? It is something I've considered doing, yes, um, but uh, it's a matter of having time and having something that's demonstrable. Um, and you know, use usable for something like that. So um, we haven't done anything professional. Um, maybe yeah. we will in the future. We're just getting to the point where we've got enough crowdfunding coming in that maybe over the course of a year we could put a little bit aside each month and do something like that. But I'd rather use the money that's coming in to uh, to work on the development stuff. I agree. And, uh, I think that makes sense. Monte, Monte 2.0 we've got these community members. Yeah, it seems like every now and then yeah. there might be a few banner banner releases right. or features where it might be worth the effort or the trouble. Not As if I point. wasn't busy enough for yeah. organizing something yeah. like that. Need to have, <laughs> we need to just have somebody do You know, actually, Wimpy, not that you have all the free time in the world, but you'd be really good at voicing a video Oh, yeah, I'd, like well, that I'd watch that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's another thing I have all the time in the world for. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, just I know. Do, I'll just do a British accent myself. Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty good. Uh, all right, so Ajax, you had a question about... Uh, uh, about uh, plasma versus other desktops. Are you in the mumble room? Do you want? Yeah, you are. Go ahead, ask. Yeah, um, I'm uh, not a new Linux user, but I have been using Ubuntu for a while, and I'm just kind of looking to branch out. And I'm wondering, you know, is pla- how better is plasma, and you know, what's what's the best way to go, and why do you think it's better? Well, I'll, I'll just tell you my personal. I'm not going to say anything's better than anything else, but I'll tell you what I like about the plasma desktop. First and for, foremost, it's very smooth. It, everything renders very smoothly. The windows open really smoothly. But what I, I think I really enjoy now about the Plasma desktop the most is all of the like the tons of crazy-ass configuration options that were wrong by default for so many years with the Plasma desktop are basically all set to sane defaults now. 
And so you can you can get one of the most incredibly powerful desktops, and everything is powerful. The terminal is one of the best terminal apps. I love the way the, the, the I, I love console. It is such a great terminal app. The way the way it handles tabs, the way I can send easily send input to multiple tabs at the same time. Dolphin is a super fast file manager. When yeah, I have is. directories that have tens of thousands of files, it just simply renders them and loads them better than than files does. Even though I like files still. Uh, a Dolphin also has like great features like side by side pane support with a with a terminal built into the file manager, which is great for me when I'm working on a filter. Um, so I really like the file management aspects of Dolphin. I like the KIO slave. So I have, for example, I have a KIO slave where I take a screenshot of something, it automatically uploads it to Imager and copies Ooh. the link to my clipboards, and I just toss it right in the show that notes. Is slick. Little things like that that I can automate that are really nice. There's things I miss about GNOME, but it, but for for me, the pla- each little application you go down, they're generally they're generally more feature rich. There are things about the Plasma Desktop that I miss that I feel like I could probably work around. The biggest thing I really like on Unity and GNOME and really anything that uses the files or GTK file browser, even Thunar does this. Is when I click on a Samba share, it uses GVS to mount it to my file system. And then I can use VLC and whatever else I want to watch video files. I don't even go to the terminal and interact. Yes, exactly. It's it's the path on my terminal, which is huge. I don't know how to accomplish that in Dolphin because Dolphin uses the KIO slaves and it's uploading and downloading files to my server, saving them in a temp directory and then trying to save them back up. So if I try to watch a video in MPV, it tries to pull down the entire video first and then open it up in MPV, which is a disaster. So if I if I there are some things I don't know how to fix yet, but so many other things are either so much easier to set. Like one of my big frustrations used to be used to have to go to three different places to configure when the screen went to sleep, when the screen locked out, and and if the screensaver was turned on. Now it's one spot, so it's it's streamlined, it's yeah. nicer, and also honestly the breeze theme has just gotten a lot of nice iterative updates. It looks really good, and GTK applications now look really good on the Plasma desktop. And Breeze has a very good dark theme, and I like a dark theme on my desktop. Agreed. And so it's Breeze again. And a lot of the, like the white space issues I had with the Plasma desktop in the past, those have either been cleaned up, like Dolphin compared to Conquer is is such a night and day difference. Like if you're coming at the desktop from like the days of Conquer and you sit down at Dolphin, it 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 looks like they not it looks like they ripped off the GNOME desktop to some degrees, but only the best parts. And the thing that I really I, I really like about it now is with a nice universal dark theme, plasma widgets that don't crash all the time when I try to edit them, some sane defaults, great performance, super reliable so far, and a file manager that's super capable and actually getting new features and not features removed. Mm-hmm. Let's check on my boxes. Let's check on my boxes, Wes. I really like what you said about the defaults there because I'm there's a lot of laptops or other things where it's like I can kind of install GNOME and just, you know, even if I don't have time to perfect it, it's mm-hmm. very usable by default. And for Especially a while it didn't feel it. like Plasma was, but now that, I mean, that... Yeah, that sells me right there. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think if you're gonna, I think if you're gonna play with it, probably play around with Neon just to get a sense of it, and then pick your distribution of choice that matches your use case. There's a lot to consider out there. Uh, Neon's one of them, but uh, I hear a lot from the SUSE camp. Yeah, uh, I, I, I know Kubuntu is still an active project. There's still a lot out there that you can pick and choose from. So yeah, all right. Well, there you go. There's the, uh, there's the Plasma for uh, new update. Very brand new version 5.90 is out today as we record this episode. 
So did you you did see the story actually? I I saw the story come across the news feed too, and I'm really glad you tagged it for the show, Wes. This this gives me an unsettling feeling because I don't feel like we're getting the full story here. But Black Phone, remember the people that make like the super secure Android device yeah, with like Silent BPM OS, SGP technologies. Yes, yep. Silent Circle. Silent Circle. Black Phone has been sending out an update to some devices that bricks them, to devices they say that are are counterfeit devices. And it looks like, I'm not sure if they're counterfeit, but they weren't bought from a reseller. They were bought off of eBay. They may, I actually, I believe they may actually be legitimate used devices. That at least seems possible, right, from what we know. So a reader in Germany uh, contacted ours after the update bricked one of his phones, which he had purchased through eBay. The black phone, too, he said he received in in the retail packaging. It looks just like the one that was reviewed on ours. It uh, worked up to Silent OS version 307. When Silent OS 308 came out, it intentionally bricks the baseband on the device. When contacted, the Silent Circle technical support responded by saying, upon review of the IMEI number you provided, it's been determined that the device is not a genuine Silent Circle Black Phone 2. This device was not sold by Silent Circle or an improved vendor of Silent Circle, and therefore, we are unable to provide any further assistance Hang up, basically. This is uh, now, of course, the Silent Circle folks contacted after this story contacted ours, and uh, the project management VP said Silent Circle is aware of unauthorized devices, um, and we're working aggressively to stop the sale of those. As we've counseled, uh, as we've counseled, oh, as we've, oh, anyways, it's imperative for our consumers and companies that we work with directly to use authorized sales partners when purchasing Black Phone Two. I'm not clear if this is used. I'm not clear right. if these are rip-off phones. Right. It's, exactly. Do you know what bothers me about the story at the core of it? Can you guess? It's Android. Well, there's that. No, it's the it's the the, 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 the aspect of the story that bothers me is the, well, we'll just issue an update and brick it. Yep. The hell is that? Like, it's, you're, like fine heck? if I can't use your software, but... Don't allow me don't, to click to your cloud servers. Don't allow me yeah. to get updates from your silent well, Maybe circle. I want to still flash something else once I realize that it was a fraudulent phone, but maybe it's still I, a phone. Maybe I still want to call 911 when I get yep. in a car uh-huh. accident. It's unbelievable how we have no sovereignty over our own devices anymore. Samsung, bricking notes. I really think that highlights the different way we think about mobile devices and Android phones than a regular PC. The mistaken PC. way. Yeah, it highlights right. the mistaken way, the way it's we've been one, tricked. It's a whole product. It's not like composable things that you could maybe repurpose. We've been bamboozled. We've been bamboozled. We really have been bamboozled. Like we just accept it like like it's a toaster or something. Yeah. These devices are sometimes the most important devices people have in their lives. They're, yep. Get ready for this, Wes. More important than their PC. <gasps> Shocker. This is Linux on Punk. How dare you? And And if you're somebody out there buying a black phone... You probably like really care about this stuff. Like it's like extra. You're not like your average consumer. Like this stuff's important to you. And so to have it be disabled, even if it's a knockoff, that doesn't justify bricking the device. It's still a useful Android device. Mm-hmm. Push an alert message. Send me some sort of unauthorized. Like even Microsoft with illegitimate versions of Windows doesn't go this far. They might force you to reboot. They might put a watermark in your lower corner, but they won't. Nuke your PC. And if they did, I mean, that would it would be crazy. It's a monster, Wes. This, what we have created as consumers, and it's our fault. It is our fault. What we have allowed to be created as consumers, what we let Steve Jobs bamboozle us all into is our own fault. I really believe it. Because if we as consumers would stand up 
and say something or refuse to buy devices that can be remotely bricked, this wouldn't be happening. Instead, we have devices that have God knows what on the baseband, can't even be controlled by the operating system. Whole other thing. The vendor who buys it can choose to brick it whenever they want. Samsung. Now Blackphone. What's that? Who's the next Android vendor who's going to just remotely disable a phone? And maybe that'll be the new thing, you know? Oh, no more security updates. You're out of service anymore. Oh, you've had your phone for more than two years. Eh, it's just going to stop working entirely. Yeah. yeah. Fader says he prefers it. And I think the argument would be that these are supposed to be ultra secure phones. And so if they're... Yeah, there is an argument there. That's yeah. the point. Yeah. I, I, so this is, this is... But I feel like I've addressed that in my proposal. My proposal is this. Disable connecting to TCP IP. Disable the TCP IP stack. My proposal is send an alert in the Android notification that says this device is not an authorized device. It is not to be considered secure. But reflashing the baseband so that it simply just doesn't work, that could cost somebody their life. Somebody could be stuck in a car accident and not able to call for help. Like that is a step too far. In, and I, I, I don't blame Blackphone. I don't blame Samsung because they're really in these horrible situations. Like Blackphone doesn't want counterfeit products out there. Samsung doesn't want note devices blown up in your pocket so you can sue them and give them more bad press. So they're really in a rock and a hard spot. It's not like they're evil. Go ahead. How many people while they're drowning in a car do a firmware update on their phone? Drowning in their car? No, you do the update. You See, get in the car to go the, to work and you get in a car accident. It's like It's not that crazy of a scenario, right? No, and I, I and I agree with you that this is lunacy. I think it's small company arrogance that they think they can do this. Um, it, like a large company like Amazon tried this, like tried to reaching into Kindles many years yeah, ago, right, and, right, and yeah. dele- deleting files from other people from consumer devices, and look where that got them. They, they've never done it since. But this seems like the small company arrogance of mm. we've made a fantastic product, and you should be. You should appreciate the support we're giving you. Not, not, we'll just throw, not the, the, the Chinese arrogant, the, the Chinese method, which is throw a bazillion devices out there and we don't really give a crap about them once they've left the factory. It's, it's the opposite. They're, they're caring too much about devices, whether they know about them or not. Hmm. That's a great point. And I, I also like the idea from the chat room that that could be a new action movie cliche. Like somebody drives off a bridge, their phone is their 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 car is sinking, but their phone is oh in the middle God. of installing an update, yep. the monthly Android update. <laughs> it's the new cliche. <laughs> this is like a really well, boring black mirror. The car could be doing an update. Yeah, that's it true. Have to be oh, true. The, the phone. Oh. It could be the car itself doing an update. <laughs> And then someone has an Alexa dot or echo in the in the car and they have to do an update on that as well. <laughs> Ajax, you want to take Alexa, the devil the, the the devil's advocate position. Go ahead, Ajax. No, I, I think you guys are generally right. But the thought occurred to me as well. Um, say you're a big company or a small company, you know, an employer giving this to your employees and you're working, you know, working against corporate espionage and doing some really important stuff. Do you want your employees to be able to override that? Like, do you want, maybe as an employer, you bought the black phone because you want it to break if it's not completely secure. Right. And if I'm the company that owns the devices, I get to say that. It's not the manufacturer of the device that gets to say whether my employees can use their devices or not. It's me as the employer, the owner of the device. 
It's always the owner of the device that should that should have control over the device, not the right. manufacturer of the device. That's my line. That right there. That's my line in the sand. That's exactly it. It it is. I feel like I should have root access over every device I I own whenever it's feasible. Maybe I could understand like the car. Maybe, but that's you know, even like the Echo. I feel like I should be able to. I should be able to go into like some sort of settings mode, activate developer mode, and SSH into my Echo and be able to control it. Tweak things. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a – we talked about it in Linux Action Show. There's a, right. there's some state laws that could help in the U.S., but I'm, I'm, I, don't know, I'm not, I don't know how op- optimistic I really am. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. I, I see cars as like a lethal weapon. You yeah. Know, it can be used as a missile on the road, but mm-hmm. I, I, don't, I don't see a phone as being a lethal weapon. Right. I can see yeah. how someone might argue that the phone might shout out while you're throwing it, don't throw me, don't throw me. You know, <laughs> it, it's against the end user license agreement to use it as a missile. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's, if it's a note, it's okay. Uh, Bitmax, Bitmux, you want to go? Go ahead. Good mark. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm mm-hmm. here. Uh, I was thinking, you know, maybe we could re- reverse engineer the, the bricking system and just intentionally do the Galaxy Note 7 thing. Someone steals your phone, you just blow it up in their pocket. Right. I actually think that'd be great. Like, remote destruct. I, sure. I'm not saying don't have it. Let me control it. Maybe. Ooh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> I like that, Bitbox. That's good. What if a kid takes it? Now you think it's with a burglar. Now it's a weapon. It's in the hands of a kid. And blow up the kid. No, that's no good. That's that no is good. no good. Yeah, you got to you got it with great responsibility comes great explosions. I'm not quite sure how that saying goes. It was something my uncle once told me. This is not a morality podcast. All right. Well, uh, while we're still talking about mobile, even tangentially, let's take a minute and mention our sponsor, Ting. In fact, I'd like to mention Linux.Ting.com. Why? Oh, I'll tell you why. Because you get to save $25 off a device or $25 in service credit if you bring a device. And speaking of voting with your wallet, uh, this is how you do it. Ting's no contracts, no early termination fee, and you only pay for what you use. Ting keeps rates simple. We don't make you pick a plan. Instead, you just use your phone as you normally would. How much you use determines how much you pay each month. You can have as many devices as you want on one account. That's good, because when you use more, you pay less per minute, message, or megabyte of data. Your usage, plus $6 per active device on your account, plus taxes, is your monthly bill. Simple. That's what we mean when we say... Mobile. That makes sense. You know what Kyra doesn't mention? Really great customer service. Oh, yeah. Top-notch customer service. You speak to a human, they talk to you, they fix your problem, they stick with you, they follow up. They. I know it sounds like almost ridiculous and unbelievable to say, but they... Wes, by God, they actually care. They do. It's like that's what their job is, and they take it seriously. It's Like they're passionate about building a business that helps people. You know, what's great about it is they're backed by two cows, which has been around since before the dot-com crash. I mean, these guys have really dialed it in and figured out how to do this stuff. Uh, Two cows also runs Hover, another company I'm a huge fan of. I use them for all my DNS registration now. They've really figured out how to build sustainable companies that feature the customer first. So they have a great control panel. They have CDMA and GSM you can choose from. They don't mess around with early termination fees, no contract shenanigans, $6 a month for the line, and your usage, plus whatever Uncle Sam's going to take. That's it. Linux.ting.com. Go there. Check them out. You cord cutters out there, check out their blog. Also, you tweeters out there, check out their Twitter feed. Uh, they are following some of the rumors about Android One coming to the U.S. on their Twitter feed, amongst other things, like sometimes giveaways and whatnot. They are Twitter f or Twitter. They are twitter.com/tingftw if you'd like to follow them. 
and uh, check them out. They also have a subreddit. Yes, they do. They're all over the web. They're so hip over the YouTube there. YouTube channels, Google Plus pages. They got it all. But you start by going to linux.ting.com. That supports the show and saves you some money, linux.ting.com. And thank you to Ting for sponsoring yeah. the Unplugged program. All right. Let's pick up the pace and keep moving. We've been talking about a lot of stuff. One of the things that is in my hot little – actually, it's in Wes's hot little hands right now – is a, a, a rig that we have in for review at this moment. Go ahead, Wes. Open her up. Oh, this is beautiful. So Wes right here has got himself the uh, the new uh, XPS 13. Yeah, who needs it when I got this new band? Right? I know, yeah. The XPS 13 KB Lake. It's got an i7 in it. It's got the uh, uh, PCI SSD 4K screen. It's currently running uh, Ubuntu 16.04 with Unity as the desktop. I'm just kind of using it in the default configs. Um, what are your first thoughts when you pick it up, you look at it? What do you think? Could and you have which edition uh like uh XPS Sputnik y thing? You have like a It's one of the first. Yeah, you have like the first. It's and I have first like second, yeah. I have like the second or third. And this is the sixth. This is the sixth. Wow. Yeah. It's well made. I mean, and they've like uh not a radical departure from the one that you have in terms of the body, but mm-hmm. yeah, it's pretty it feels similar there. It's very sturdy. I haven't done much on it, but yeah. Wi Fi connected. Yeah. And it's very snappy. Yeah, it's the it, screen is nice. It's the screen consistent. is very, yeah. very nice. There is a uh, a sort of a, a premium build feel about it too. Like, uh, oh, yeah. listen, this is just listen to this. You feel it? You know, as a nice solid thud when it closes. Right. I was immediately impressed by like adjusting the amount of resistance, adjusting the right. display. Right. The display is on there. It's it's a. It, I like the way it's it goes back. Hinge. And yeah, it is. Look at that. Look oh, at yeah. that. Rock I'm, I'm sitting there bouncing it, buddy. Yep. I'm bouncing it up and down. That is not moving. No, it's great. And also a touchscreen, which uh, you know you may or may not use, but it's there. And Unity does work pretty well with that. Interestingly, so I've had my family. I've had Hadia using this. I've had Dylan using this. And interestingly enough, both of them just sort of intuitively when they're like browsing Amazon or in Dylan's case, YouTube, reach out and scroll. Interesting. Or when Dylan and I are sitting here both using this computer together and there's something he wants to look at, he just reaches out and touches it. And he does – he didn't even know it was a touchscreen. I don't think I said anything to Hadia either. And I saw them both like sitting there on their lap and they're using it to scroll through web pages. So the touchscreen – I can see that for the consuming side, you know, like yeah. when you don't have it doctored. So what's right. the port situation like? Well, so here's what we got, Wes. You got yourself a Thunderbolt USB-C style port. I think uh-huh. – I don't know. I haven't really tested it yet. But yeah, it's USB-C uh, shaped. Then you've got USB 3.0, headphone jack out. It's also got a little battery gauge on the side so you can oh, – no. does yours still have that too? Is that something they've had since the beginning? Oh, yeah. Mine has that as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah mine does too, uh, which I just like. I like being able to hit a button on the side of the laptop and, and see what the battery is. It's got, uh, it's got an SD card reader and uh, then it also has another USB port on the other side. So two USB 3.0 ports, SD card reader, USB-C, which has the Thunderbolt icon on it, although I have not tested that under Linux. But it's, it's a, I have used USB-C. So I know that works, That's awesome. but I have not used Thunderbolt because I don't have any Thunderbolt stuff that has the USB-C plug. But uh, oh, it has. Yeah, I, guess little, I don't either. But you see, it has that little Thunderbolt icon, little logo next to it. Oh, yeah. the plug there. Uh, so yeah, that's interesting. What is this weird future we live in? I know USB C future, man. It's it's something. I got to say though, that is a handsome device. I would be proud to take it anywhere. Yeah, yeah, it, it is exactly. It's not like the like the old Dells uh, where you're like, well, yeah. I mean, I bought it. It wasn't that expensive, and it works for me, but it doesn't look that great. It's it's not like that. Yeah, yeah. I I I'm first impressions are pretty good in all those regards. So I've been getting my family's impression. I've been using it. I'm gonna I'm gonna reload it pretty soon with a different distro and uh, just different desktop see. environment. See what that's like because I always like to, you know, both in a lot of. Well, I don't actually. 
can't think of anybody that doesn't ship the hardware preloaded with Ubuntu. I mean, they all everybody does, right? I mean, the ones that obviously come to mind are System76. They ship, ship it with yep. Ubuntu. But all my System76 rigs, I've generally at some point loaded other distributions on there. Even if I go back to Ubuntu or specifically Ubuntu Mate, right. I still sometimes run Arch for a little bit or Fedora or anything else. And so it's nice to know the general compatibility with Linux 2, not just the Ubuntu compatibility. But so far, the out-of-the-box stuff, top-notch. That's awesome. Yeah. And I came across this for the previous version of the XPS. Last year's. Which is – actually, no. Did I come across this or did you? Because you and I found we some of the same both. links. Yeah. yeah. Uh, this – I can't remember. But uh, this is getting Mac OS on the XPS 13, uh, the 9350 edition. So I thought I'd just drop this in there. For those of you who are crazy enough to do that, that's hey, a thing. look at those K extensions. Yeah. Have fun with that after the next update comes out. Then also what showed up on uh, Reddit slash R slash Ubuntu is a review of the XPS 15 KB Lake with the NVIDIA 1050, which Ooh. is now starting to get into the range of like an actual like computer I'd really want to consider. <laughs> and uh, this is is not an official Dell-supported configuration, I don't believe, but I think our, our a local resident, Wimpy, is, has messed around with the XPS 15 running Linux and has had some good success. Right, Wimpy? I have. I've got the... Fifth generation, thirteen, and the XPS fifteen. Okay, okay. So, and did you, have you had any problems running Linux on the XPS fifteen? Even though Dell doesn't ship it in that config. No, because the uh, Dell reseller I got it from offered configuration options that included oh. the exact same Wi-Fi card as is in the XPS thirteen. Ah, nice. So it just everything else is the same apart from the Wi-Fi chipset in that model and therefore it just works huh okay so that was what 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 you kind of have to take away from that i think is make sure you get the this is the thing if you go off with i the think sim- i think that was then though i think oh, now okay. they only sell the models with with both models of wi-fi chipset compatible with linux oh. yeah okay it looks like in this review this guy didn't have to fight with wireless either ww you had a question about the 13 yeah, have you used it under a heavy load? Because I've ha- I've heard um, people in our own IRC room that have used it under a heavy load and had a coil wine issue because when the fan kicks up uh, so fast and high that you hear kind of a whining from it. Yeah, I'm I'm actually gonna I'm gonna specifically test that because I've heard that from the community as well. So it's interesting that you've picked up on that too. Uh, so the only real heavy load I've put it under, which did kick the fans a little bit, is we watched um, a 4K YouTube video. Okay. Um, HTML5. Didn't hear any wine then, but it was literally for like three minutes. So I'm going to do like uh, some extensive testing. What is a good way other than like Prime 95 or something from like <laughs> the ancient days? Is there like a is there like a really solid like uh, run this command and it generates a lot of CPU usage besides building software? Um, I think um, you should. I think there's a version of the Heavens Engine um, benchmark for Linux. Oh that yeah, okay. You could possibly use. Yeah. Uh, I will check it now. I can though. definitely figure out ways to cause CPU usage, but I would like to do sustained, like minutes. Just keep compiling that minutes, kernel for your MacBook. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. So uh, that's that's something to try. But yeah. Worth worth noting. Um, there's two two things. There's a good uh, benchmark for Onyx test suite. Yep. Yep. Which will like run a whole bunch of games and all kind of stuff. Yep. But the 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 thing to note is the coil whine is nothing to do with the fan. Oh, okay. It, it, even under no load whatsoever, the coil whine in the really old ones was it would just whistle just gently enough that to be really annoying. 
but under no load at all. Oh boy. I've not experienced this on either of mine. Oh boy. I just add as well. I guarantee you, I guarantee you I would be hypersensitive to that. So if if it's I one of those things like the first time you hear it and then yeah. then you're done before it was fine and then then yeah 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 because you know I even I if I I can I can I'm I know a lot of you are like this so I'm not trying to brag but I can walk in <laughs> I'll walk into a room and I can tell you if a if a if a TV screen is on just by the coil whine of the TV screen it's less prominent now with LCDs but it's still a thing and so it's one of those where. I would be one of the people in the room going like, what is that noise? And everybody else would be like, what are you talking about, Chris? I'm like, there is something ringing in here. Uh, I'm really sensitive to that. And I there are there are entire machines I have stopped. Libram! Libram 15! There are entire machines I've stopped using because of the noise they make. So we'll see. I haven't had that wine. I've not heard any wine yet. I would absolutely tell you if I did, though. Yeah. Uh, I, I I don't know. I got to figure out what the price config is on this one, too, to, right. to give the. So I haven't done the whole price to performance ratio yet That's stuff good, either. Yeah. So if you're out there and you have one of these machines, I'd like to know what you've thought, uh, what you've run into, specifically if you've had any issues around KB Lake, any of that kind of oh, stuff. Great. Yeah. Because I. New chips? Yeah. Uh, I used to, for years, was like, oh, yeah, no, it's no problem with Intel stuff. But then, then you know, Skylight yeah, came around. Yeah. yeah. And there was some problems. Speaking of problems, are you just trolling me with this next one, Wes? Yeah, I think so. Yep. Are you really? Uh, yeah, legit. <laughs> yeah, good man. I, I did. I saw it and I was like, okay, well, I have to at least send this to Chris if yeah. I put it in. Yeah, no, I mean, that's true. At the end of the day, I guess I decided. To, yeah, but that's, it was still low. This is so awesome. So we got an update on the ButterFS RAID 5 and RAID 6 status. This is on the Linux ButterFS mailing list. Yeah. Um, and uh, their update goes like this. Uh, they believe, and this is coming from uh, Jan, uh, and also it's an email thread between Jan and Hugo and, and others. Um, and uh, they think what they probably should be doing is updating the wiki to reflect the fact that things are way more broken than they initially thought. Like RAID 5 and 6, don't even go near them. Uh, there's just some examples. Now, it's in, one, in some respect, it's really great they found this stuff. Yeah. So that's there's that. Uh, in other respects, uh, the RAID 5 or 6 scrub will repair data while corrupting parity. Kind of ironic. So while you're fixing your data, you will corrupt your parity. Just trade one corruption for another. Uh, RAID 6 scrub can report false alerts on uh, CSUM errors. The dev replace cancel sometimes can cause an entire kernel panic Ooh, of your tough. system. Yep. And uh, they also uh, are seriously considering re-implementing ButterFS's entire RAID 5.6 Configure the entire thing using Device Mapper, which is tried and true, but old. Yeah. So they may be rewriting the entire RAID 5.6 aspect of ButterFS. Does that make you want to build a nice big yeah, RAID man. 5 array right now? Yeah, just, oh, just right now. Just go all in on ButterFS right now. I am so stoked about this. When you saw this, Wes, did you laugh? Did you were you disappointed? Like, what was your? Because my initial reaction was actually a little sad. Like, I was like, oh. yeah. We're, we're never going to get there. We're never going to get there. Uh, yeah, it was a little, I mean, I think it was It was all of those things, right? I was like, it was kind of funny, and I was thinking of you, and <laughs> just yeah. some of the quotes from the mailing list. Of course, um, of course. I, but the part of me, it's like, I still have a, a ButterFS RAID 1 system, so I'm glad that they aren't mentioning that in here. Uh, there, there's some mention of it later, but... Uh, <sighs> yeah, there was two links does you it, sent me. What was the second link you sent me? The to- second one was just talking about... Uh, the Chris over at Facebook who who has oh, right. given the one that we, the, the the use case that is always mentioned for ButterFS right yeah the uh, singular use case so they've they just kind of talk about how they they've focused in the past on single drive use cases uh, they may change that this year 
performance stability, uh, and then maybe RAID 5.6 are on their list. So we'll see. Maybe if there is a rewrite, Facebook will be involved, but who knows, right? I mean, and that's the thing is like really ButterFS has been relegated to, hey, Intel XFS has snapshots that are like fully worked out. Here's some snapshots for your root file system. Don't trust data in any serious NAS array. XFS, everybody. XFS. If you don't need all the features of uh, ZFS, please consider XFS for your home partition. It's just a few letters less than Z. It's almost there. It's close. Yeah. It's damn near close. Uh, for your, maybe your VAR. I don't care. I, hey, I'm Honey Badger about it. But XFS, my friends, please consider it. Uh, and then if you want uh, a, a grown-up file system that's used in production, ZFS. I don't mean – I'm not even saying that to be antagonistic. It's just the reality now. And – Oh, this hurts so bad. This hurts. And remember, I know I know we are now like a year into Chris bashing ButterFS, but the year before that, I put all my shit on ButterFS. Like my actual – in fact – I mean I still have root partitions on ButterFS. I, I'm dude, sure you do as well. The, the, the VM server that runs a bunch of the local servers here at, at Jupyter Broadcasting is – all of that stuff is stored on ButterFS. Like – the backend data storage is ZFS, but the server itself that's running all that stuff, we are ButterFS all up in this business still to this day. Mm-hmm. And we have Arch machines in those VMs running on ButterFS. We heard you like ButterFS. <sighs> Jeez. And I'm not using any of the RAID features, though. And it's right. really been fine for that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the systems don't feel the disks a lot. It's, they're running kind of the same thing, yeah. the same jobs, the same tasks all the time, and it's actually been fine for that. So while I've been spending a year kind of trash-talking ButterFS, it's just simply because I – I really I, – I, I want us to be competitive. Exactly. Yeah, right. That's what it comes down to is like we – it would have been great if ButterFS was the project that could have built a new exactly. GPL license ZFS that we could use and could be in kernel. Amen. That's not what's happened. Amen. Exactly. That is exactly how I feel about it and that's exactly what I wanted. And that's why now yeah. I say XFS. Wimpy, do you agree? Yep. I've done for a long time. I've go. had good success with B3FS on um, root file systems. Mm-hmm. Um, this was some time ago but um, – you know, for out-and-out performance with the compression, it was brilliant. But uh, then, uh, not because of the issues that have since come to light with B3FS, but I started using F2FS because oh. I've moved to SSD. So F2FS for um, root file systems and then XFS for volumes of data. Will you denoob me? What is uh, What is that? F2FS is a file system developed by Samsung, and it's specifically for flash and solid-state devices. So it's hot-rocking fast on uh, uh-huh. anything from memory cards, USB sticks, and SSDs. How did you come it, across this? It's been around for years. Yeah, I imagine. I imagine. It just doesn't ring a bell for me. Uh, yeah, well, I it was one of the things I was tinkering with when I was trying to build uh, an OS based on Arch for the Raspberry Pi years ago. Uh, and this was a way to get better performance. Um, and the only drawback with F2FS is that um, it doesn't have all of the user space tools. So, for example, there's no uh, file system resize capability at the moment. Get it right the uh, first time. Which, so, yeah, you, you get it right the first time. <laughs> <laughs> Been there. Will you put a link to that in the show notes, Wes? Because I saw you just uh, found that there. Yes, I will. Yeah, I, I've... I've uh, I am I'm I'm very fascinated by these and Bcache FS and others that uh yeah and that's that's the one that I tinker with on a spare machine and you know that's my little hobby file system that I I, I like to keep up to speed with yeah I 
I fantasize about the position that folks like yourself, Wimpy, and folks like Ryan at System 70 and System 76 are in where I all of a sudden have to make the decision what potentially thousands upon tens of thousands of users may use as their default. And that is such a head job for me. Like when it comes to the like the responsibility of choosing a file system, like there is not when it comes to your core foundation, once you've chosen Linux, you've made the hard choice. Now it's like what distro yeah. and what file system? And you choose – generally people choose Ubuntu or Ubuntu Mate. Mm-hmm. And then you choose your fi- – and, and that's like – those are the three big choices <laughs> in my world. And I can't imagine – I can't imagine like every time I get in that position, I think, well, you just do extended four. Because nobody gets fired for shipping extended four. That's, that's a, yep, that's the way to think about it. Or you're SUSE and you do ButterFS. And then you spend the rest of the year defending ButterFS into oblivion. But I digress. Uh, I think that's an interesting. I think that's been. Would you ever consider? Okay, let me. What Wimpy? What would it take before you would flip the bit to make XFS the default file system for future, like eighteen ten? Let's say it's it's Ubuntu Mate eighteen ten. What would it take to convince you to flip the bit to XFS for the default file system? It wouldn't take anything to convince me, but it's not a decision that I could make alone because it would be something that would affect all of the flavors. So there would have to be a. A consensus of opinion. Oh, it's a fla- It's it's all Ubuntu's that would choose that would switch. Yeah, yeah. Because oh, I didn't it's know a, that. A feature. It's a feature of ubiquity. Yeah. Oh. And we have we so, have kernel developers who are quite anti Butterfest for for uh, good reason. They've done a lot of testing, like pulling out the cable while it's running. Kind of. Do testing. you mean do you mean BTFS or XFS? Butterfest. Sorry. Fine. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that that's that's interesting, Poby. That's mm-hmm. that, and so I guess the flip side to that is, so you could frame it as, well, we can't do XFS until all Ubuntu's do XFS. But the flip side of that is, once Ubiquity has drop-down checkbox support for ZFS, then all of the flavors get it, right, Wimpy? Yeah, and there is a capability to put plugins into Ubiquity, so you can um, have additional steps in the install uh, installer. And the only flavor I'm aware of that ever did that was um, Mythbuntu, so that you could configure the um, the back end and front end components uh, individually during the install. So it might be possible that using a plugin that could be overridden. I'm not sure anything like choosing the file system is exposed in the plugin or not. Hmm. I think that's a separate a separate piece. But yeah, I'd um, I'd happily go with um, with XFS. I mean, it's proven itself over many many years now. That's, I didn't really think about that. That that is a that is an interesting because you, you'd really come down to having to either do a plugin if they didn't, and if they didn't have plugin support for the file system, and you really were, you know, you were really serious about this, you'd essentially have to fork Ubiquity to pull this off. So, you know, those are the kind of things I don't, I, I haven't yeah. thought about. But uh, so the choice is sort of made for you in some sense, but the net gain overall is totally worth it. Yeah, but when I when I um, install my machines, I just do the um, manual partitioning and just set everything up with um, XFS anyway. Mm. Yeah, mm. I usually do the same. Ryan, do you know if anybody over there at uh, System Seventy Six has ever, you know? kicked around the idea of switching around the default file system or switching around something like that is there is there any kind of like a like a skunk works where people try out new file systems at system 76 well we do try them out but we typically end up shipping whatever ubuntu ships by default 
Yeah, that kind of seems like a good bet. Yeah, it's safe. Yeah, and also you you get the advantage of a huge user base that's all sort of has the same common set of configurations, mm-hmm. and that makes it much easier for people that are looking for support after the fact. Uh, so we kind of end up. Correct. This is one of those defaults that truly reigns supreme. So we end up with extended four, and I suppose if if the market came along one day and really wanted something else, we would see a change. But for right now, for what we need, it's getting the it's job working, done. Yeah. It's getting the job done. All right. Well, speaking of getting the job done, let's talk about Linux Academy. Talk about a really great way to get the job done and learn more. LinuxAcademy.com slash unplugged. That's where you go to support the show and you sign up for a free seven-day trial. LinuxAcademy.com slash unplugged. Take advantage of a platform built by Linux users for freaking Linux users. That makes all of the difference. Linux and open source isn't one of the many things they cover. It's the only thing they cover. And that really makes a huge really difference. Is, yeah. I'll tell you, one of the things I've really liked about Linux Academy is I, I talked to them before they were really publicly known. And uh, what, I, what, I worked away, what I walked away from the conversation was, well, we watched Jupiter Broadcasting and we thought, what if we did a podcast network but we made money? And I thought, that's a great idea. I oh, should have thought wow. that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and they're like, well, then we kind of kicked that idea around. And uh, this is what we came up with because they wanted to spread Linux. They wanted more people using it. And they recognized there was this total, total gap in the industry for getting you credible, good Linux training that the rest of the industry would get behind and recognize. And that, to a T, is Linux Academy. They got course schedulers for your busy schedule. They got video courses. They got self-paced study guides. They got downloadable, comprehensive stuff you can take offline, listen in the shower. That's amazing. A community full of Jupiter Broadcasting members, learning paths, which are very specific tracks for your career that are planned out by their instructors. Oh, instructors. Yeah, they've got those, too. Full-time humans who are happy to advise and answer questions. Nuggets are just little teeny bits of wisdom when you're busy and study guides and audio that you can take with you. And a notebook you can keep filled out. out. And here's the best part. Note cards. Take advantage of one of the best things of open source. That is people forking stuff and making it better. They got those with the note cards. They, they, They integrate little things like that. Some concepts from the open source community into the platform. It's genius. They've also got iOS and Android apps now, and they're building out content like a mo, adding stuff all the time. I think it's probably one of the coolest companies I've watched grow up over the last few years. And one of the nicest things about Linux Academy is legitimately every single week there's something cool and new to talk about. I love how much stuff they're doing. I love how hard they're hitting it. And I love the results our community is getting. You start by going to linuxacademy.com unplugged. Sign up. For a free seven-day trial, try it out yourself. See how useful it is. Look at the public profiles. See how you can use that to tell management what you've been working on. And then when you're all done at the end of the day, just sit back and play around with their lab servers. That's what I would do. LinuxAcademy.com slash unplugged. And a big thank you to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Unplugged program. What are you doing over there? Did you go to sleep and have to wake back up again? that's right I did. <laughs> what what is that solve? What problem did you fix by sleeping your laptop and rewaking it? Sadly, nothing. What, nothing. What's wrong? Did it lock oh, up on you? Chrome was just being weird. It wasn't like clicking with the mouse at all. So, what distro? I just tried out a distro recently. Oh man, I can't remember. I just recently tried out a distro that had Chrome and Chromium installed. Oh no, it was the it was. Wait a minute. No, 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 no. Hold it. 
it was the XPS 13. It came out of the box from Dell with Chrome and Chromium installed. Like, what the Ooh, hell is this about? Like, why? Why do you have? Why do you have Chrome and Chromium? Like, <laughs> you just do one or the other, and and not Firefox, not Firefox, not Firefox. So um, this is this is a privilege of of um, an OEM that that works with Canonical to produce their images. A privilege they can they can install three web browsers. They can they can they can work with Canonical. Well, they can install three browsers, but they can work with Canonical to um, change what's on the image. They don't have to use the vanilla image. They can actually make customizations. That is nice. Oh yeah, I, one of the other things I noticed is a pretty slick. Um, actually, really slick boot up animation, music animation. It makes Ubuntu really feel like a. Do you remember when macOS way back in the day had like these welcome to macOS animations that oh, yeah, were totally. kind of okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is like those only way better. It's really now well I done. I want to see this. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So so you boot it up, you get like this, you get this whole full screen video presentation. But yeah, you do get Chrome and Chromium. And so do, does is there so so uh, um Wimby might understand that there is like a back and forth like we will we will like how does that work? Like how how do they how are they able to add something? Did they did they like carve out a deal with Google to redistribute Chrome? Is that what I'm to understand? Uh, I don't know what the arrangement is regarding um, Google, but I know that um, what they're able to negotiate as to what deviations they want to make from the vanilla image. So this doesn't make like to still be recognized as Ubuntu okay. and supported. So it's not like a, it doesn't become like a Dell Ubuntu. No, it w- Canonical will still recognize it as Ubuntu and it is supported. Okay. That's nice. Okay. That's that's nice. Um, I want to just two stories and then I want to get into some new hardware that's coming out of System76 mm. that's going to mine all the Bitcoins. Um, did you know that kernel.org back in 19 – well, they shut it down in 98. But until 1998, you could mount kernel.org via NFS or Samba over the internet? Yep. That's fun. Yeah, yeah. I think I might have done it once. Maybe. And I didn't even know what the hell I was doing back then. And they were then just, you ran a magic command and then like a kernel popped out and It was just the worst though. Wimpy, did you ever do this? I remember trying to get it working through our company firewall over NFS once and <laughs> uh about that time um then figured out this was a really bad idea yeah. and just worked out how to Write a script to make FTP recursively grab one. There you go. Yeah, not not NFS and and uh, and SIFs not known for their uh, tolerance of high latency connections. Not with their strong. No. No. Yeah, FTP much better. But it is 2017, and 19 years later, kernel.org is announcing that they are terminating their FTP services. No more FTP for US. There was a good discussion just about like. Uh, that FTP can be tricky with firewalls and some good uh, highlights like uh, they can be sent to random port numbers. They may originate from server or client. Destinations are destination addresses are negotiated on the fly. So I can see why it like it's weird. just like a lot more of a burden to maintain than just use HTTP. Yeah, but not for them in a way. Like like the 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 well, yeah, I guess. As long as they keep rsync up, I'm happy, really, to be honest with you, but and HTTP, I'm I'm good. Yeah, uh, I I don't know though because you know I I still have muscle memory for ftp.kernel.org ftp.kernel.org. Yeah, that's, that's fair. That's gonna be weird. That's gonna be weird. But 
Time time moves on. Also, moving on, uh, I thought this was sort of interesting, and I'll just link it up in the show notes for you guys. But super quick, if you're like me and you're on a super limited bandwidth connection at home or or maybe you're on a LAN with tons and tons of workstations running Steam, I don't know, Steam Pipe and other utilities like Nginx can be used to locally cache Steam updates, game files, and whatnot on your LAN. Ars Technica has a uh, whole write-up about it that we'll have linked in the show notes you can only cache games you own, and it caches them the first time you pull them down. So it's not like you can pull, you can't like take Steam Pipe, point it at the Steam Store, pull down all of the things, and set, just have it right there. Not doesn't work. work that way. No, no. And this is like a combination of Nginx and uh, Steam Pipe and other things to help you sort of solve the problem. Maybe you got a LAN game, or you got a whole bunch of machines, or like myself. Your roommates also use Steam. There are also times where. Um, my MiFi connection in Lady Jupes is super strong, and I maybe want to do this kind of stuff. And yeah. then there's times where it's not so good, and it would be nice that when I re when I reset up a machine or I'm trying out a system for review to be able to just pull them from a really local system. All race the sun. When do I not? Yeah. When do I not? The answer is never. So this is kind of a neat feature, and I I don't really have much to add. We're not going to go through the whole how to here, but if you want to locally cache your Steam games. And who doesn't, right? I also like to have my own local Pac-Man repo, my own app repo. I mean, come on. Yeah. Everything. I like have all the things. So uh, ours has a write-up on, on that. Now, Wes, <gasps> when I say System76, you say... Fantastic computers. Running I say Oryx, too. I say oh, laptops. Oryx. I say laptops, actually. Yeah, laptops. Which is funny. Although they have desktops. I know. Some of my first systems... Actually, my second System76 machine was a desktop. So I, I know. I know that. I know that. But you know what I you know what I haven't said for a while? And every now and then I mentioned on Linux Action Show, but you know what didn't come to the tip of my mind? Servers. But System76 has a whole line of servers. I did not know that. And I have been led to believe that once people have been convinced of the System76 persuasion, they usually end up coming back looking for more, like servers. I don't know if that's true or not, but Mr. Ryan Sipes is in the mumble room, and perhaps he can confirm rumors of a new Ibex Pro. Ryan, is it true? <laughs> That was Ryan's. Yes. Story. There it is. <laughs> that was He was too busy playing with the new Ibex Pro. I liked the I like I kinda got I I was on the edge of my seat there yeah, for a no, second. Yeah. That was that was really good. This is not just any old server though, Ryan, right? Because this is like one that could have like a whole bunch of GPUs in it. This is like a Bitcoin maniac. Eight Tesla P one hundreds, three thousand CUDA cores. It's a pretty big beast of a machine. One point five terabytes of RAM. I want it. I want it. 32 terabytes of SSD storage, mm. if that's your persuasion. Yes. Eight GPUs. Woo. So, Ryan, is it, am I kind of right, though? It, do a lot of people, they end up coming to System76, they buy a desktop, they buy a laptop. Maybe I'm a school district, and all of a sudden I find a lab full of System76 machines, and next thing I know I need a server, and people kind of get sort of... Uh, well, they get swayed by the whole System76 package. Is that is that a, is that a kind of a common uh, entry point for the servers? Or can you can you talk a little bit about what System76 is doing in the server space? Because it's not something we talk a lot about. Sure thing. We uh, we offer a full line of servers from your like basic one U, you know, server that maybe is running. I don't know, like uh, maybe use it as a web server. Maybe it's some something that's not really intensive on GPU or, or um, you know, not. We offer from the small server all the way up to the new Ibex Pro, which is 
a beast. It's a monster. Mike had a machine. And, yeah. And uh, the thing is, is that a lot of folks come for the laptops and desktops, but uh, they stay for the the awesome server line that we have. And uh, they look to us for our fantastic Linux support when they're considering that type of machine. GPUs That's in servers. Of them, yeah. um, I'm familiar with like scientific workloads. I'm pretty familiar with like live streaming use cases. Uh, but I, I can see, you know, a lot of different server-side workloads coming. I, I joke about Bitcoin. It's not really what you would use this machine for, but um, man. I, I, yeah. could, I could imagine there's people out there like in the, like the uh, design industry or the scientific community that must need a lot of GPU power, right, Ryan? Yeah, machine learning and render farms ah. for like uh, 3D video. Um, these are common use cases that we hear about. Uh, I've said this before, I think, on the program, but we have some customers who everybody knows who does who's really big into machine learning, uh, maybe even autonomous driving, uh, those type of companies, and they're they've been looking forward to us producing a machine like this. Hmm. Yeah, now, How about we set up one of those Steam streaming servers? Those <laughs> GPUs can render yes. it, and then I can just play right here on my laptop. We'll have the Jupiter Broadcasting streaming servers yeah. in one of these things. It wouldn't just be for you and I. It could be for everybody. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty great. I think uh, I think when I when I have when I picture like the ultimate school district, mm-hmm. I would totally like love like labs with System seventy six desktops. Secretaries on the all-in-one systems and office staff all and, and teacher computers would all be the all-in-one systems. Servers on these, um, not the GPUs, but you know, just, right. just that kind of stuff. That would be nice. That'd be such Ooh. a sweet, such a sweet setup. So, Ryan, you're you're telling me people are still buying local servers and installing them on premises? I thought everybody went to the cloud. Well, those cloud providers have to buy their servers from somewhere. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, that's very true. And they need more powerful servers than ever, so you guys got to stay busy. <laughs> yeah. Fortunately, we've had really, really great reception to our server line, and the demand just continues to grow. And so we've continued to grow our server line to yeah. demand. And so I, I would encourage anyone who is looking to – who works at a data center or – for, you know, a university doing machine learning, protein folding, things that are really GPU heavy to take a look at the IBIX. Uh, you know, when you talk about buying time on one of these GPU servers, it isn't cheap. In fact, some of the cloud providers um, require you to enter into some kind of lim- like amount of time that you have to use it because they have to spin up that thing on site in order to make a instance available to you. And so uh, sometimes this, it seems crazy when you're talking about a machine that can range anywhere from $9,000 to $114,000. But if you're a big, you know, enterprise or university, sometimes having something like this on site can be cheaper than renting time on a, on a cloud service. Hey, man, mine's only 41000 so I don't know what you're talking about. I configured a system, you know, just for casual usage. Just for casual. Casual usage. Casual yeah. usage with uh, how many cores did I put in there? Oh, I put 22 cores in there with 44 You threads. sure that'll be enough, Chris? <laughs> Maybe you should get two. Yeah. So that's the new Ibex from System76. Holy smokes. I also wanted to, to bring some stuff up because uh, lots of folks have been really excited to see that we're making a new product release. And I wanted to reiterate that. Carl is speaking at UbuCon and will be releasing three products while he's on stage. So 
people who are in the Pasadena area or can make it out there should totally attend that talk. Cool, man. Awesome. Um, and, uh, of course, check out the IBEX over at system5106.com. I'm just going to, you know, I like, I like any time you have a system that has a configuration option of first CPU memory and then second CPU memory and the option is 768 gigabytes of RAM, you're not playing around. This is a serious Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, check. Then, and then the base C- GPU design is 2800 cores, you know. And it can go, it can go all the way up from there to like uh, thirty nine thousand cores. <laughs> Ooh, that is a beast of a system! Wow, well, I know a, what I want for my birthday. Yeah, that's a whole, that's a whole another level. Speaking of another level, let's talk about our last and final. But you know what? Honestly, the sponsor that uh, I'm using right now as we do this very show, so you can't call them last, and definitely you can't call them the least. They are Digital. Go over to DigitalOcean.com and use our promo code DOUnplugged. You get a $10 credit. You spin up a rig. Try it out. You got an open source project. You got a demo you want to do in a podcast in a few minutes. You do it on a DigitalOcean droplet. Oh, you'll see what I'm talking about. DigitalOcean.com. Use our promo code DOUnplugged after you sign up. You get a $10 credit. You can try out their $0.03 an hour rig. Nice machine. $0.03 an hour is... Is really an unbelievable rate to get a really fast computer with a 40 gigabit E connection. Everything has SSDs, regardless of the price you pay. A brilliant control panel, super smooth, straightforward API, and documentation that is to die for. DigitalOcean.com. Use the promo code DO Unplugged. You create your account. You go in there. You get in there all like a boss. You get your username. You do your email thing. Then you log in. You type in DO Unplugged. You get the $10 credit. You go nuts. Say you get the five dollar rate, go go crazy for two months. I don't. I'm not going to judge. I won't tell people what you're doing. I mean, you can tell me what you're doing, but I won't tell them what you're doing. Come on, I know it. It's great. There's so many things. You know, right now, as we record this show, I'm using DigitalOcean to host my IRC. I'm using DigitalOcean to stream this here very show. I know. I'm using DigitalOcean to sync the files I'm using to play on this show and to talk about it. And I've been using DigitalOcean this morning to set up the files. I'm using DigitalOcean to talk to our virtual lug because the mobile room runs on a DigitalOcean droplet. Hey, you. There's so many things we use DigitalOcean for. And it doesn't matter if you're a beginner or if you're an expert, you'll find their interface is fantastic. they got data centers all over the world. So even our international audience will find something locally that hyperserves their customers. And then they have some of the best freaking best documentation on the web. Not because they copied it and set up a wiki, but because they've really worked with their community. They've rewarded the very, let's say, high producing members of the community who create really great content. They've monetarily rewarded them. They've hired full-time, and I'm plural here, full-time editors. To edit the documentation. Like they take every aspect of their business super serious. And right now, not only are they rolling out this really nice front end system to help manage your traffic and spread it across your entire infrastructure, but the beta that I've been playing around with is their monitoring system. Oh, yeah. Integrates right in with the dashboard. I can enroll my existing droplets and I can quote unquote upgrade them to monitoring. Nice, dude. That's so nice. So cool. Honestly, for us, like uh, for a couple of our servers, 
we kind of guessed on how much horsepower we needed to mm-hmm. like do live transcoding video, but we didn't really know. And now with this new system, I can get a much better idea. So I can really kind of narrow in on the kind of performance I need. Do I need more? Do I need less? See if you're pushing it or mm-hmm. you're just wasting things. That's the thing, dude. And it's really nice. DigitalOcean.com. Use the promo code Unplugged. It just gets better every single week. And a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring. The Unplugged program, DigitalOcean.com, and use that promo code D-U-Unplugged. So, Wes, uh, you see my screen right here right now? Mm-hmm. Oh, what is that? Uh-oh. Is that top? <laughs> That's Popey's computer right there. I am logged into Popey's computer using... Uh, fork uh, bump. Come on, fork bump. <laughs> you know, RM-RM. No, uh, just kidding. Um this Knock is, yourself out. Chris. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> we were talking. Popey and I were talking earlier today, and he's like, "Well, maybe I'll set up a droplet for you because he doesn't want me to hack his system." But this is using Teleconsole, which is an epic we featured on Sunday. And what's even better than this is, I think, and I'm guessing, but Popey, I think you kind of got involved in this because you found that either you did you help get involved with the snap, or you found it had a snap. And yeah, I I I, I discovered Teleconsole last week. There was. Um, it, it featured on Hacker News and it rose up the GitHub uh, trending projects. And I, I thought, oh, that looks interesting. Let's take a look. And I contacted their CEO, the, the company that is called Gravitational that that uh, made Teleconsole and said, hey, would you like your application snapped and put in the store? And I had a conversation with them on uh, late on Friday night last week, and I'd already snapped it by this point. It was already packaged up as a yeah. as a snap. <laughs> um, and I had a chat with them, and they said, seriously, you just want my permission to put it in the store? I said, yeah. He went, do it. So that was it. I put it in the store, and I'll hand it over to them uh, shortly, I've I've created a pull request on their GitHub repo, so they can they can take ownership of it. But basically, if you if the directory you're in is um, just a directory on a on a like you said on a DigitalOcean droplet, but in there is a YAML file. If you do an LS, oh yeah, find there's a YAML file in there, and that's the conflict that I created. It's not it's not hugely uh, complex. Wow, that's, that's all it took. Well, I'm gonna that, I'm gonna look at that again. Look at look at that. So yeah, you, it's like really, the thing. That, lines or that, so. Well, no, the, I mean it's less than that if you take out the, the description. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, if you take out all the metadata, there's like three lines. Yeah, wow. This is re- so you have copy, and then there's a you have a tar file, and this is made simpler because it's it's a Go file. I mean, it's a Go program that's pretty much all statically linked. It's all ready to go, so it's not like a ton of extra depths have to be installed. Right. But this is. I mean, and you're running this in a web browser. You're connected over a web browser. Yeah, we're using right. Teleconsole. So that's the here. Cool that's amazing. Thing. So yeah. th- this is the cool thing. We're using Teleconsole to talk about Teleconsole. So I'm, I just installed Teleconsole Snap from the store and then ran Teleconsole and it gave me a URL. I gave that to Chris and he could open that URL in the browser and then look at my machine and actually interact with the machine. So I can sit here and this is great for providing support. If you've got family members who have got an Ubuntu machine, they can install Teleconsole or whenever they need help, they can run Teleconsole, give you the URL, you can connect and there's no port forwarding. There's no SSH keys or any of that nonsense. And you did mention on Laz that it is possible to do this with a GitHub ID. Mm-hmm. But you can do it without that. You can yeah. just give them a URL. URL and which is what we did here. It's brilliant. And what's what's fascinating is if Popey, right, if you resize your window on your side, does it resize it on my side? Like it's, it is, uh, it is very much what, what I see. Do is you want to po- make it smaller or larger? Try making it a little tiny, try making a hair larger. Does it, uh, 
Are you just re- you're just dragging the window on your screen right so now? So I'm just grabbing the terminal window and I've just made it slightly bigger. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's so cool! That is so great. And then you can revoke the session essentially, and, and kick right, me I out. can just press Control D and it will exit out of Teleconsole, and I'm done. Or I can close the window because it's just a terminal, but it's just so nice. Yeah, it's really really nice. What what I what I what I gravitate towards here is. Uh, more and more things like this are showing up as snaps. And I this is why I think I'm probably for my five year bulletproof distro gonna end up on Ubuntu Derivian. Yeah, of some sense. some sort of derivian of Ubuntu. It, it, I don't know if it's if it's neon, I don't know if it's Ubuntu Mate, I don't know if it's Ubuntu proper. I, right now on the XPS I'm running Ubuntu proper. But this okay. kind of thing between PPAs, snaps, apps, and maybe even flat packs, that is a whole a range sell. and Docker. It's a whole range of applications that are really simple, really easy to get going. And and there's more and more stuff I'm seeing showing up, showing up as a snap Seems package. Seems picking up, yeah. And if, if there's people listening to this thinking, oh, I'm on Ubuntu 14.04 and I really want to have a go with this teleconsole, well, SnapD landed in 14.04 like yesterday. Oh, wow. Really? Oh, so really? You, I know that. Yeah. So if you with, with get isolation? Really? So if you apt get install SnapD on fourteen oh four, you'll get SnapD and the confinement bits and pieces and an uplifting kernel to kernel four dot four, and mm. then you can snap install to your heart's content as well. <laughs> oh man, what is <laughs> what is toilet? Is that what is toilet? It's like it's just it, it's like Figlet. Figlet yeah. is like a, a font thing that lets you put big banner text, and toilet is just similar. Yeah, so I, I, I don't know why, but it's great. I, uh, uh, so <laughs> I could, not only can I remotely control Poppy's machine, but he, of course, he can now control the stream. <laughs> so this is great. Like you can have two people can have a text editor open at the, like the same file. Sure, two people can like cooperate yeah. on the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's just maybe, amazing. I love it. Maybe this is what we do tomorrow. Now our plans have been scuppered. We use this. Yeah, we can work together yeah. remotely via yeah. a, a session sure. via a teleconsole. Yeah. It's yeah. great. Yeah, really. It is It is uh, perfect for support. It is perfect for collaboration. And it feels I, – I, so when we covered this on last on Sunday, I got the typical, well, this is just the perfect way to get hacked type responses. And I, I understand where people are coming from. But one of the things I, I like about teleconsole as opposed to giving somebody – straight SSH access to your machine is it's session ID based and you can revoke sessions. So you actually, in some regards, have more control over who has access to your machine using teleconsole. Um, and because you can watch them, you you literally have more oversight. I will say then uh, that that goes back. If we I think we talked about it briefly on the show a while ago. The, the backing technology, it's basically a demo for Gravitational's Teleport, which is their okay. own SSH daemon implementation. And so if you're using right. one of our fine sponsors... Uh, and you have your own infrastructure where maybe you want this kind of auditability or control or seamless access for devs who aren't as, you know, you Linux use, friendly. You can use Teleport or things like this to get similar functionality in your own infrastructure. Slick, Wes. Okay. That makes sense. That's a, a great way to do it, too. And that's that's the next step is I, I've taught the guys how to do a snap for Teleconsole. The next step is that they're going to make a snap out of uh, teleport so that's that awesome. you could yeah. have your own on-premises teleport or in a DigitalOcean droplet. I I really like, Popey, how simple the YAML file is. So the YAML file describes to Snap what it should do. It's like the instruction file. And it's, it is 
It is ridiculously simple when something is a tar file that is essentially statically linked or doesn't have a lot of dependencies. Right. Uh, but you could, if you wanted to, in this YAML file, couldn't you even pull crap off of like an FTP site to install? Right. You can you can pull from anywhere, and there are way more complicated. I mean, this is one of the more simple ones. Mm-hmm. If you actually type Snapcraft in that window right now, it will build the Snap. It will just open the YAML file and create the Snap straight away. Oh, hello. Oh, you haven't got it installed. Well, you got to install Well, let me install so some software that. on your computer really quick yeah, here yeah, remotely. <laughs> That's what computers are for. Yeah, this feels good. I like installing software on other people's computers. <laughs> so, uh, yes, you're right. And and some of the more complicated um, snaps are pulling in libraries from here and there or building something from source. And it can get a lot more complicated. This was – it was quite beneficial that when I saw this last week, I – I looked at it and thought, well, that's a Go binary. It's a single binary mm-hmm. that implements sure. the entire solution as one thing. And, oh, hello. What's going on there? <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's yeah, broken. Yeah, yeah. Well, okay. <laughs> you would normally just type Snapcraft and it will build it. So, Ryan, you have had uh, – so you've installed you've been, you have installed a, a several or a few or some snaps on your system? Yeah, I've been trying to install via Snap first before I install via – any other method. And uh, I thought I would have a really bad time um, just because it's still growing and and uh, things are changing. Yeah, but sure. uh, generally, I've had a good experience. In fact, so good that uh, I've been working on a game with uh, somebody else in the System76 community, uh, and it's called Code Breakers. You can snap install Code Breakers right now. And uh, we snapped that up, and it was a lot of fun, and it works really well. Cool. I I didn't even realize I was actively using snaps until um, this morning when I did a mount command and saw I had three uh, snaps mounted. And I realized, oh, yeah, I have, I have yes, three. Yes, I've noticed that as well. <laughs> I have three snap apps installed on my machine upstairs, and I didn't even – you know, once you get them loaded up and, and yeah, set. Yeah, they're on your path, and it works fine. Yeah, it just totally they, works, works fine. They also update as part of like the normal update procedure, which I guess I didn't really realize. Oh, they do. And so, yeah, I mean, like, I'm, as part of the update, it must run the snap command. But there's been times when somebody has been like, "Oh yeah, go ahead and up this update this package, and you'll have the new sweetness." And I go to update, and it's like everything's up to date. And I'm like, "Well, I didn't, I didn't uh, run snap refresh, but apparently." Hmm. And somebody can correct me if I'm wrong, but I've always had. Uh, just through running normal updates, always had the update snaps. Interesting. I I have not. Uh, I don't think I've ran any snap. Re- I don't have not. I have not ran a single snap command on my workstation upstairs since I installed them. So I should look at that on Arch because I don't know what the situation is on Arch. Yeah, I, I installed them a while ago, and I think I forgot about them. And I I don't want that to be what happens with with those types of applications because mm-hmm. that's just a that's a recipe for disaster. Uh, so I, I should try walk to walk the walk, Chris. Walk I know. Walk. I know. I forgot. Yeah, I totally. honestly forgot I did it. And I'm just – I'm so used to my package manager installing everything else. Exactly. I, I didn't yep. even think about it. But they've been running great. So there's that. Uh, so uh, teleconsole combined with Snap combined with that GitHub thing is a pretty it's powerful – mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I, 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 I really think I'm – I at least am feeling inclined to use a distribution that supports snaps, but I'm kind of feeling inclined to use an Ubuntu-based distro with Flatpak snaps, PPAs, app files. They're just in the general repo. I mean, like, all that stuff is just really appealing to me. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, what are you working on? Jeez, oh, <laughs> Poppy. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just fixed that in the background while you were yeah, talking. Yeah, you did. I looked down at my screen. <laughs> Yay. Okay, cool. Look at that. See, that's what's so great about this. Right there. Boom. You just have Poppy fix things for you. <laughs> Next time you have a problem, boom, fire up Telecouncil. Yeah. <laughs> now the now Poby's uh, Twitter feed will be filled with Poby, help me. That is <laughs> that is really neat. And I noticed too that they have an EU specific server for Teleconsole. EU.teleconsole.com. Well, uh anything else, Poby, you want to touch on before we uh move on? No, uh, if you want some fun that's not command line stuff, I also pushed a game to um the snap store called oh my giraffe so if you snap install <laughs> oh my giraffe then uh it's not it's not something i've written it's someone another guy wrote and i offered to snap it for him and put it in the store and it's a fun game so yeah oh my giraffe snap install oh my giraffe it's great you know before the show i tried to figure out how i would install teleconsoles a snap is there like a is there a, a website the audience should go to to find a a list of the latest snapped up applications. So the goal, the goal really is for us to uh, once once an upstream has um, got something snapped and it's in the store, is to update their documentation basically, so that rather than it say go and get this source and build this source or add this PPA, it just says snap install foo right? Because that's the easiest way mm. to do it. So once once the upstream for Teleconsole has taken over ownership of this and it's not mine, we'll get them to update their documentation so that it says I snap install Teleconsole, blah, blah, blah. I should have just used the snap command to search for Teleconsole instead of searching the web too. That would have, I don't know what I was thinking. I was being a noob. I was being a snap noob. That's what the Work on it. I know. I got to get my S together. Next week, you better snap install something live on the show. <laughs> Prove that you know how. <laughs> okay. You better remind me because I'll forget. <laughs> about snaps, about everything. <laughs> All right. Well, that's pretty cool. I love it. I love it. So uh, thanks, Popey, for uh, at least dedicating a machine, sacrificing a machine. Let Chris. Yeah, I'm going to burn it with fire. <laughs> yeah, now. It's clearly broken now. <laughs> yeah. It never again should be trusted. All right. Well. We have to get out of here because, as is a thing now, Mr. Wes That's has me. an upcoming episode of TechSnap. Woohoo! That's right. And so uh, we can't just slack. We gotta be. We gotta be like a, a serious production here and uh, make room. It's for new to new, us. We're working on it for the new TechSnap program, which is live on Tuesdays. In fact, all our shows are live. You can find their times at jupiterbroadcasting.com/calendar. You can leave us your feedback at linuxactionshow.reddit.com, a comment wherever you watch this, or go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact and send us in your feedback. We'd love to have you join us live next week at jblive.tv. Hang out in our virtual lug. There's always more, so catch the whole live experience. And we'll see you right back here next Tuesday. Installed GNU slash Linux. You know what's been weird, Wes, is I've been uh, trying this bulletproof Linux at the same time that a lot of folks are blogging about switching from Mac OS to sure. Linux. Yeah. And so it's been interesting to watch their what they reach out for. Yeah. And uh, I've been following Bitcannon, which is, by the way, hashtag this guy. At first I was like, is this Wes? Because his hashtag on Twitter is Wes on Linux. 
Uh, wow. Yeah. So Bitcannon, a.k.a. Wes on Linux, he just posted another uh, part two yesterday of switching from Mac OS to Linux. And uh, it is a really good post. I debated reading it in the show. I just didn't want to rehash the same ground over and freaking over again. But uh, long story short, he settles on elementary OS because of how it looks, how it works, finds a bunch of cracks and rough edges as time goes on, ends up back on Arch. This is a Mac OS user. Ends up back on Arch and installing the Budgie desktop. Heyo. Which is pretty much exactly where I'm yes, at. Yes, right it now, is. Wow. Which is really interesting. Uh, they tried GNOME 3 and then he went to uh, he went to Budgie. I, I don't know. He, he went with the Arc theme and the Arc icons too, which is my exact that setup. That is, wow. Anyways, it's fascinating, fascinating, fascinating post. Uh, Bitcannon.net if you want to read the yeah, rest like of it. Yeah, I like this blog. It's good. Yeah, it's been really good to read this because it, as somebody who like is cons- consistently thinking about this stuff, I love kind of reading, running running through the kind of like path, you know, going down this, trying to read the same path mm-hmm. that these people followed. How did they end up here? The context they were living in and how they're adapting. Yeah. And why is he using Geary? Why is he why is he using NeoVim? Why is he using Firefox? What was the what was the thought process that led there? What is his opinion of files? All that stuff. Really good. Super good post. Uh, bitcannon.net if you want to read that. Almost almost made it into the show. JBTitles.com. Only because if we put one more Mac OS X link, everyone will kill us. I have to stop talking about it at some point. But I just, I love it. It's like finally it's Mm -hmm. happening. Uh, Death by Download. What's that a reference to? That's good. What's that a reference to? The Android story, I believe. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Right. Brick in the thing. Yep. 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 Beam me up, Popey, software license to kill. That's clever. That is clever, yeah. I like James Bond references. Black phone hits the bricks. Plasma heats up winter. These are good ones. Mm-hmm. You guys are on fire. Yeah. Uh, needs more wimpy. That's what Always. the red pepper says. Needs more wimpy. You hear that plane? W- wimpy's being wimpy's been typing furiously this evening. <laughs> really? Well, good for you. Mm-hmm. Black phone kill switch. Oh, Rika, you just gotta you just gotta embrace the default. That's my path to just, happiness. Just use Breeze Start. That's all you really need. You got to. You have to, and then you have to be willing to just accept. Like, I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be honest with you guys. There are aspects of Breeze Dark that don't hold up. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, you have a full. So you take like the system settings window. And there's not, a, and you go to one of the settings that doesn't have a lot going on, and then you maximize that. You will see gradient bars in the dark theme. Oh, I I'm, I am a picky son of a bitch, so yeah. I am I am letting some stuff slide, but only because with every iterative release they have improved stuff, and I just feel like if I just hang in hang there, tight, yeah, it'll get better. Yeah, 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 yeah. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't look worse than Breeze Light. <laughs> Do you, do you have it on a like, very large resolution screen? Because I'm on 1080p. It's a 2K Asus uh, screen, which I think is the okay. perfect resolution for Linux. Uh, I think 2K, not 4K, not, 4K, not 1080p, yeah, yeah. but 2K is perfect for Linux. Everything looks great. Everything that scales level fine. Of the scale is fine. You can fit a ton of shit on your screen, but it's not where there's like the little issues. Like, uh, where's that XPS? So... This XPS 13, out of the box, uh, has high DPI support turned on. However, in the installer, 
the uh, what do you call the top bar in, in, in Unity? What do you call that? What do you call this top bar in Unity where all your menus hide? Panel. The global panel, the panel. So on the XPS 13, when you boot it up for the first time, the panels doubled. You can there's essentially it looks like two panels, but it re- what it really is is the background graphic for the panels just repeated twice. Uh, it's it's we fix that. Yeah. We fix that. System 76 fix that. Right. I was going to say it's Ryan there. <laughs> and then and then do you see those lines at the bottom of the screen? Oh yeah. Yeah. Also oh, also weird. only only shows up under their implementation of high DPI. Yeah, we totally fixed that too. Yeah, it doesn't wow. bother. That doesn't bother. I mean, th- actually, that does bother me. That right there, those lines right yep, there. Now that I've seen it, only Wes can really see it. Probably right. Now. I don't think there's there's not there's no there's way. There's no I can, way. Yeah. No, but they're there. There. So there's there's definitely little issues. So so Ryan, I, I'm I'm going to say something, and then you can carry on. Okay. So Chris fixes fixes to those problems you've just described landed today. Really? Now, Whoa. Ryan, yeah, Ryan, over to you. Yeah, so we fixed uh, those problems. Actually, David and our new kernel engineer worked on that, um, and Cassidy. That was a high DPI fix that we blogged. The, the fixes that we blogged about here recently, they bugged the hell out of us too. So we went ahead and did something about it, and those should those should be in the ISO in sixteen oh four dot two. Brilliant, nice, nice, very nice. Because it, that's awesome. It's just a little, it's, it's it's it is getting down to some rough edges now, but they're rough edges where you're like, well, that doesn't look right. Yeah. Yeah, every once in a while we go ahead and fix Dell's problems. <laughs>